0: Are the rumours true that this is out of the Flooring Porter Betting Syndicate that we were? They're trying to, to hide the money here, Will. That's what they're
1: trying to do now. I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe to the Hurling Pod feed on the OTB Sports app now.
1: Monday night rugby on off the ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish Rugby Team. We all belong to the team of us. Now then, lots to discuss for you. have to say, Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times, with us. Hey, Jerry.
2: Hey, Joe. How are you doing? You well?
1: Great. And Liam Toland, you were there as well. Hey, Liam. How are you doing, Joe? So we might start with events at Thelman Park over the weekend. Final score was Munster 19, Leinster 34. At halftime, it was a two-point game. Munster 12, Leinster 14. And then James Lowe scored a try on 48 minutes. Jimmy O'Brien with a try on 58 minutes. It felt very much like game over. There was a Deolande try for Munster a few minutes later, but James Lowe went over on 74 minutes. Bonus point win. Very comprehensive. Jerry, I note as well, it seemed to be the smallest crowd to attend a Munster Leinster game since Thomond was redeveloped, which is even somewhat at odds with general bump in attendances post COVID generally across different sports. It's uh, easy to conclude there wasn't huge local enthusiasm to watch the inevitable here.
2: Yeah, you wonder as a degree of fatalism um, uh, set upon the Munster faithful. Um, there, there are no doubt a myriad of factors. It would have been a sellout. Uh, on St. Stephen's Day when it was originally scheduled, as it always has been on St. Stephen's Day, which is a very popular um, time in the calendar, given to so many supporters home for the festive period and the chance to see Munster for maybe the only time of the year if they're living abroad. So that didn't apply this time at all. I think last time they played in the window outside of Stephen's Day, there was a, a similar attendance, just over 20,000 given for the, I imagine, I think it was April 2000, or sorry, October 2013. So no doubt, fuel prices, the travel, the distance people have to travel to games. I think more than more than the majority of Munster's um, season ticket holders are actually from outside Limerick, and then you've got the Cork Waterford match on Saturday night as well. And this is going to be an issue not just for Munster going forward, but I think for um, all the all the provincial teams, given it's now going to overlap more than ever with the uh, All Ireland Championships in both hurling and football. So a myriad of factors at work. I'd say there was a, quite a few COVID cases. I asked about 20 people at the ground. What were the reasons for the low attendance, and I got probably 20 different answers, you know what I mean. And one of them was COVID. And uh, the one former player told me these six of his mates had COVID and weren't able to go to the game. I kick off time seven o'clock on a Saturday. Like, if you're coming from West Cork, there's a fair few West Cork players on the team, that's a six hour round trip. So it'll be interesting to see how they go against extra. I believe season tickets for sales for that game around by the 16,000 mark. One adventure if it's a close first leg and the, and the second leg is very, very much alive, the tie is very much alive. You'll see a pretty good crowd, but I, I believe sports grounds not sold out yet. I wouldn't say ticket sales are great for the Aviva for the first for the second leg either. It's just a, it's going to be a bit more challenging time, I think, for the problems, as given the rival counter attractions of the All Ireland Championship. That'll be the main factor, I would suggest.
1: Liam of the game itself, yonder Van Grand said, we weren't outplayed; we were beaten by the better team, and they are currently the best team. So, decipher all that for us. And what did you see?
0: Well, I I was there, uh and uh, first of all. I think the attendance of issues over 20,000. I would be very surprised if it was that high. I'd say it was much lower than 20,000. I don't know how they count the tickets, but um, it seemed half full, if, if you like. And for those who were at the game, the degree of apathy, anger, disappointment, I think, which is the worst emotion you can feel after a game when you feel disappointed is like a father disappointed with a child at home or something. Um, a lot of people who did go to the game may not come back for a while because there was that level of disappointment. Um, some of the language used beforehand, to, to your point, Joe, some of the language used beforehand, I know Van gran during the week was talking about like we've worked, it's the 41st week of the season, we've worked very hard for 40 weeks to put us in this position. And then he admitted after the game that it was a frustrating night, that, that they were too good for us. But in the same breath, he also said, I feel like we played well. And that's very worrying because if, if in one hand you're saying the opposition were better than you, and you're also admitting that you played well, well then there's a massive disjoint with how you're gonna fix that. So uh, that worries me if the management are framing the, the story afterwards in that fashion. Um, there was a lot to be worried about about the performance and the ease with which Leinster could score four tries against Monsters one try in a variety of guises. The difference of how, say, for example, uh, Chris Cleetie and Peter Manny are employed. They are oftentimes spend time out in the wings. And then you look at their their compatriots, Darius and van der Fleer, and how much impact van der Fleer and Darius has. Darius in particular, in terms of carrying the ball and the oomph he gives his side. Uh, a lot of the Leinster wraparounds won't work if Leinster aren't getting that footfall, that purchase in the Munster defence. Uh, and the flip side of that, if you look at De Lande's try... Um, which was a beautiful try. Um, uh, Craig Casey was on. He definitely upped the pace without a shadow of a doubt. Um, he passed to uh, Healy, who'd come on, and then Carberry and De kind of, it was the first time Munster kind of bamboozled ring in defence, and they scored a try. And you kind of think, wow, the timing of that try is excellent. Let's see, can Munster crank it up? And just... Leinster, without much of a thought, were able to just a stranglehold of the fixture and, and complete four-try, bonus point win. And it was really disappointing. And it, the disappointment goes way beyond that. But that's kind of how I felt at the end of the game.
1: Well, tell us more about the disappointment way beyond that.
0: You, you go to what Dwayne Gran is talking about. It's his 41st week. And if that's the best he can produce after 41 weeks, and like this isn't his first season either, you kind of say, wow. Now, there's there's mitigating factors. The, the whole COVID experience doesn't help. Uh, the injuries coming into the game. Obviously, Ty Burn is an enormous loss, Kilcoyne and various other players. Keith Earle is only coming back. But the style of game that Munster are playing is still, I thought it was better, actually, at the weekend, but it's still miles behind the experience of watching Connacht, Ulster and Leinster. It's still in the dark ages in, in so many ways. And that's very, very disappointing. Uh, to kind of throw the gauntlet at a 10-man lineout when Munster were trying to get that score towards the end. And they put, there's only five backs out in in the field 10 of the forwards 10 of the monster team were in a, in a lineup mall couldn't budge leinster um and you kind of go is this what we've gone back to this is like 25 years ago when ireland were playing argentina in the world cup this you know is this where we are and uh in that sense it wasn't just me like the frustration of random punters sitting around really just looking at and just being really really disappointed like they they the, the, the they're not enticing people to pay a lot of money to go and watch. Mm -hmm. It's not an entertaining game to watch. It's not a successful game to watch. And when you look at some of the players who are coming on, you kind of get, I know Cleete is going to to bat, but you kind of go, well, where is the succession plan? Where is the bit of excitement? And you take someone like Connor Murray and Craig Casey. Craig Casey injected enormous energy when he came on, and that's what you'd expect from anyone coming off the bench. But I think he uniquely has a burst of energy in that. So now it's about the game plan. And how often throughout the game did the, like, you've got Chris as a massive centre. How often did he ask a serious question of the Leinster uh, defensive system? And you you look at some of the tries, like the Jimmy O'Brien try that Leinster scored, and you just see the comfort with Twitch. Now, there was a bit of a juggle in midfield. Um, if memory serves, Henshaw had the ball, ring rolls around a brilliant line. Like, three of the, of the receiving players, only one gets it, all sold that they're going to carry it. You look at when a monster player is taking the ball, if he's a forward or if he's a back, all the players around him aren't selling anything. They're still doing the one-man-out carry and hoping he'll get the ground, but he's been double-teamed or triple-teamed. So the game hasn't evolved. Their game plan hasn't evolved a huge amount. And if you look at, say, Peter Manny on two occasions out in the wing, which is part of their structure, Um, gets the ball and he, he... he Off one, I know they had a penalty advantage. He just puts the ball to toe. I think twice he did it. And you kind of go... What like does Calen Darius do that? Kaelin Darris is tearing up in the middle of the field, creating holes. So how the players have been employed confuses me a bit. The team selection certainly confuses me a lot. Um and the, the general game plan is, is confusing me a lot and it's disappointing. Jerry, can you disagree with any of that?
2: Um well first of all I thought Lens were excellent. Those were one of Lens's best performance the season, if not the best. Um they're they're a better team with better players, and that's reflected in the Irish selection. You know, they, they brought back, I think, seven Irish starters from the Scottish game that won the Triple Crown and nearly won the title, um, plus Robbie Henshaw on the bench, plus the Irish front row on, um, on the bench as well. Um, Munster brought back three players because Ty Byrne was injured, um, David Colcorn was injured, they only brought back three, all of whom were on the bench against Scotland. So they're just the fact of the matter is Leinster are a better team. That's their 10th win in 13 clashes with Munster going back to Razio last game in charge as well. So they've just been a better team for quite some time, better team than Munster, better team than anybody else in the URC. That's why they're going for five in a row and they're top of the table, 10 points clear of everybody else. I thought some of their launch plays were just, you know, supremely well executed. It was funny though, the the, the, the first launch play that led to the Gary Ringrose try, the free James Lowe on the left, it was almost an identical replica of the launch play with which Tommy O'Brien got their last try in sports ground a week before, with virtually an entirely different backline you know, just Jimmy O'Brien and he was wearing a different shirt number on his back. So it shows you just how well organised they are and how well coached they are and how, as well as how talent they are. So I think first of all, you've got to give hats off to Lencer; They were just excellent on the night and Ross Byrne played one of his finest games as well and you could see how much momentum when he floated his second uh, long skip pass for the try by James Lowe to clinch the bonus point. He punched the air and let out a roar. I think that was quite personal for him. Um, Munster, I actually thought, played quite well in the first half. A bit like Jerry Flannery and watching the game, I thought that they played with a lot more ambition than they have. Some of the meetings with Leinster was less box-kicking. Um, they tried to keep the ball in hand. And it was a, quite a very entertaining first half, I thought. Um, they actually came back and led 12-11. I think that was a big moment just before halftime with the 40-up when Leinster scrum got a shunt on. And Candelan was nabbed by Caelan Dorris, who was just outstanding. They went counter-rock, get the penalty, going in at halftime the lead. Bit like the other key moment in the match in the second half was probably after Kendall wins a turnover penalty. It's not long after the day and he tried. There's an unlikely comeback in the air. The crowd are really fever pitch and unfortunately Dermot Barron's throw goes crooked and then Leinster regain control. Their their attack game is not nowhere near Leinster's. It's true. I thought interesting there was a better shape to the attack when Ben Healy came on. I thought he also injected a bit of line speed and defence, which was chronically absent for the much of the time. For those four tries, there was. It was quite quite striking the way they could just stand up and fix, transfix the Munster defenders, and also create space on the edge. A bit might too easily for comfort, I would have thought, for the Munster brain trust when they look at we re, reviewed the match. Um, but I thought it was better shaped to their attack when Ben Healy came on and Joey Carby moved to full back, as Liam highlighted was most evident in the try that day, and they scored. But yeah, it's um, they're, it Coming away from the game, although it was an entertaining game, and Munster gave it a go. The class divide just seemed as great as ever, really.
1: Mm. Just to let people know teams in case they didn't catch the game in full. So Munster had Matt Gallagher, fullback, Calvin Nash. They had Farland, and D'Olande at centre. Shane Daly, the other wing, Joey Carberry, Conor Murray. And then their pack, Lockman, Niall Scannell, Stephen Archer. They had Jason Jenkins, Finian uh, Witcherly, and then Backrove, O'Mahony, Cloude and Gavin Coombs. As for Leinster, Hugo Keenan, Jimmy O'Brien who scored the try, Ringrose and Henshaw, James Lowe, uh, Ross Byrne, who Jerry mentioned theirs having had a very good game, Jameson Gibson Park, their pack was Ed Byrne, James Tracy, Michael Alatoa, Devon Toner and Jack Dunn, and then the back row, pretty special in Caelan Doris, Josh van der Friere, Jack Conan. I mean, the scary thing, Leinster were probably always going to win this game in the second half, if not the first game, given that they had Dan Sheehan, Keen Healy, Tig Furlong, Kieran Frawley, Luke McGrath, on the bench amongst others, like there is such a gap there. But your core point is for all Leinster's brilliance. And we're talking about the best team in Europe potentially here. You're looking at Munster and it's same old story territory. And we're back to similar conversations we were having uh, pre-Christmas about Van Gran and his tenure and what he's actually trying to do. So with Exeter to come at the weekend, a two legged affair against Exeter. How far can Munster go playing this style? OK, they're never going to beat Leinster. I think that's increasingly evident at the moment. But Leinster aside.
0: I think actually we need to take the next few fixtures, which is extra away, extra at home, Ulster away, Cardiff at home and then Leinster away. So it's a, it's a tough few weeks for, for Munster to be uh, broadening their game plan to a point. And I think you mentioned there on the Leinster bench, the one player that people forget an awful about is Ross Maloney. Like, I think he is an enormous window into the difference between Munster and Leinster like Ross Maloney for me I I was disappointed he didn't get capped during the Six Nations I think he's been a super super player but he's surrounded by world-class players and hence he probably looks a little ordinary and he's far from it he's an absolute cracking player and you see the impact he has he's a man coming onto the pitch and you you look at Tomás Sohern who's at the other end of his journey he's super athlete and he did some really great things actually on Saturday night, but he's he's still growing into being a man. And like the, the fringe, the so-called fringe players on Leinster, the likes of Ross Maloney, make a monumental difference uh, to the outcome of these fixtures coming off the bench. It's helpful that Ty Furlong and Keen Healy are also doing doing so. I, looking at the fixtures that Munster have, I can't imagine they're going to change game plans. Are they going to change selection? Um, I thought Conor Murray again. I think he'd be pretty disappointed. The Jimmy O'Brien defence, like you know, Conor Murray has been such a phenomenal player for so many seasons, and that corner flagging defence we've seen him do it time and again for the Lions, for Ireland, and for Munster. And he just looked a little bit sluggish in that moment. Is it time now to start looking at bringing in fresh players? Not because. Better than the guys are replacing, but certainly there's evidence to say a halfback pairing of of, of Casey and Healy could make a difference. I thought uh, I'd agree with uh Jerry regarding uh, Carberry when he when he moved to 15, things began to work a little bit better in, in a sense. I'm just I suppose a bit worried about like season after season, coach after coach, and we're still going back to the same kind of talking points about how Munster are playing rugby. And if you took Damien DeLandi out of the side. Um, Like, he was probably the only player who, man for man, could could match his opposition man. And I would say he was one of the stars of the game. He played really, really well, as as you'd expect him to do. But all the rest, you would say, struggled at various different stages, skill set struggling, game plan execution. And you think, I suppose, um, in moments of pressure, Leinster had that skill set to be able to... I suppose in the last 48 hours, I've been trying to figure out how do you defend against that Leinster wrap around. Um, how, like, what what are Leinster trying to do in that moment, and how can you defend against it? And they they're doing it at such pace and such precision and such a level of, of quality that four or five Leinster players are selling all the time, and it's really difficult as a defence. So one way to to to, to slow it, to prevent it is is to make the ball that Leinster are getting much, much worse. So that whole process is much more difficult and Munster weren't able to do that either. Um, and again, how they're employing their back row a little bit, uh, how they're, how much involved they are in that process as well. So I can't imagine there's going to be a huge game plan change. Uh, Exeter, uh, we know, can ask really big questions of teams. Uh, it's going to be a really tough few weeks for Leinster. And will the, you know, would a fresh coach coming in today change team selection? I got a sense they would.
1: Okay. I mean, I guess it's difficult as well, Jerry. given that we were having these conversations about Van Graan and the style of play pre-Christmas and then he loses much of his team for the Six Nations and we suddenly expect him to have transformed style of play uh, over the last uh, week or two. It's not going to happen. On the Carberry point that maybe the team looked a touch better with Casey and Healy and Carberry moving to 15, what's your understanding, Jerry? there of Munster's... Powers to say we're going to play Carby at 15. Are they almost mandated IRFU wise to play him at 10?
2: Funny, I was thinking the very same thing today because I was doing my schedule for the week and Munster up tomorrow. And I'm thinking if Stephen Larkham is up or Jon Van Grand's up, it's going to be the first question I ask them is Joey Carby starting at 15 an option if Mike Haley's ruled out at the weekend? Mike. Reading between the tea leaves, it looks as if Hayley will be back and Hayley's performed very well for them. And that's another factor in all this, you know. Lens could afford to leave Johnny Sexton at home, could be missing Ronan Keller and Andrew Porter and James Ryan, which is pretty scary, really, and still play that well. Munster, as we know, don't have that same strength and depth, but... I thought there was a better shape to the attack when Carberry came on. He is a real option 15. We've seen Ireland use him there twice against Argentina and once the Six Nations was against Scotland. And it's a, a real string to their bow that, that you have a player like that who can switch from 10 to 15 so effortlessly and be a, and be a real factor in attack. Um, my guess is that Carberry will start again against X that Hayley will be back, however. And and you presume that Zebo will come back in. I, he doesn't sound too optimistic about Kilcoyne and Byrne, which is a loss. And just as worryingly, of course, Kevin Coombs went off with an ankle injury. Ironically, he got pinged for what might have been a fairly legal poach at the time, got cleaned out from the side by Devin Toner, got an ankle injury. And I'd say he's in serious doubt for these two games as well. The one other encouraging aspect from a Munster point of view, though, I thought was the way Thomas O'Hearn came on and chased down the first restart, injected tempo. Kendalyn looked like he didn't give a damn about the past history between Leinster and Munster the way he went about his business. Casey, as uh, Liam has already highlighted, Healy was playing really good rugby this season, Ben Healy, the young guns who came on perhaps because they're psychologically less scarred from previous meetings, but Leinster went pretty well off the bench, I thought.
1: Yeah. Just on uh, the points you're making, Liam, about the sense that there's a sense of deja vu regardless of uh, coaching ticket over the last couple of years, there has been a South African theme to the coaching ticket over the last uh, couple of years. And so... You know, I don't know to what extent some of this is just Munster DNA as well and traditionally forward oriented game. I don't really subscribe to that because if you watch the rugby, for instance, that 08 team played, it was wonderful attacking backline allied to the traditional Munster strengths up front. So it's not like Munster are predestined somehow to not play expansive rugby, but like what Munster need here. With their next appointment, if you take, um, say, Leinster as a parallel all those years ago where they had all the talent and maybe not enough for the, the sterner stuff. Michael Cheka came in and just changed the culture and allied both. Munster are really going to have to get this next appointment right, because I, I do think you're right. For all the points Jerry made about attendance and the mitigation on attendance, I think... The fan base are looking at the way this team has gone over the last number of years, and it's very hard to be enthused by it. So they're going to have to get someone who has the strength of personality to come in and change things once and for all, because rinse, wash and repeat at the moment just ain't working at all.
0: Yeah, I, I, what I've been sucked back into the it, our continual uh, conversation, Joe, on the, the many, many challenges Monster face, like the academy is beginning to like they've new appointments in the academy now, which... I should hope we'll, we'll start providing more. Like professionalism is is essentially the ruthless pursuit of excellence. And I don't see the ruthless pursuit of excellence in an awful lot of what goes on. Um, the style of rugby being played, and I, I've coached at underage levels uh, here, you've got a bunch of really talented kids. The kids who are playing in Limerick, for example, play hurling football, soccer, rugby. They play all the sports. But the rugby knowledge uh, is nowhere near where the rugby knowledge needs to be in comparison to what the, the Leinster... Uh, what Leinster Academy and the Leinster schools are producing. So straight away, I know there's a population difference, and there's all sorts of other problems. But Connacht have have even more difficult challenges, but they're playing a really good brand of rugby, and it's it's not unsuccessful in a sense. It's still a relatively successful brand. They're 32 points so far versus Munster's 47, so Munster are away or ahead. So the academy needs a reboot. The style of rugby being played at underage level, for me, absolutely Now I was really heartened when uh, Crescent Comprehensive won the, the Monster Schools Cup against Prez, a super uh, final there a few weeks back. Uh, and Crescent played a brilliant game. And hats off to the coaches because it wasn't robbed from the professional game. It was a game appropriate and suitable for the kids who were playing, and they showed that. Crescent team showed a real rugby knowledge and comfort that at times when I look at the monster team, I don't see it. Mm. This rugby knowledge, understanding three v twos, understanding space, and that Crescent team did. But an awful lot of the teams aren't playing that way. So there's a cultural need to encourage that type of rugby outcome at club level, at youth level, and school level. Um, and yes. The amount of coaches that have come through the system of Munster, the amount of different messages, the amount of different uh, rugby styles, even the current three coaches. You've got, you know, Roundtree, a legend, obviously coming from the Leicester uh, School, Larkham. A legend, his own right, come from the Australian system. And you've got um, Van Grant coming from the South African system. So which system is winning in that discussion? Which is the natural system? And I, I always go back to Munster when they played Toulouse in that famous game in 2001, I think it was. Wow, that was total rugby right there. Yeah. That was phenomenal. In the heat, quality rugby. Munster players can play it, but for too long, they're being restricted for whatever reason, and they're not playing it. And the skill sets that are, we saw on Saturday, at times under pressure, wasn't good enough. I know that skill is there because I see it in the kids playing here. But the cultural aspect of it needs to be encouraged and the coaching from the very top down does. And running parallel to all that then, Joe, is that the business that is running Munster is struggling. And when you, there's no way there's 20,000 people at that game. When when you can't fill Thurman Park on a Saturday night, the sun is shining against Leinster, you can't fill it or close to fill it,
2: there's a problem.
1: Jerry, how will they go against Exeter half huh? five Saturday, do you think?
2: Oh, it's going to be a tough couple of games for them if they've got, you know, they're, they're missing David Kakoyn, Ty Byrne, um, Gavin Coombs, maybe others. It's Exeter seem to rediscover their mojo a little bit. They haven't had a great season, but they had a good win against Bath the weekend to climb back into the top four in the Premiership. They won this trophy, didn't they, two seasons ago. Um, so they are in that kind of almost in that elite tier that Munster have just been shy of consistently over the last decade, and um, particularly in latter years. Um, I think it's going to be very tough for them. If they can stay in the hut, it would be a different type of challenge, though. I mean, again, if they can see penalties in halfway, then Exeter will go to the corners and then they will just go to their mall and they're picking jam game. And it's very, very hard to resist, although they have more strengths to their opponent than that. But they don't quite strike with the same alacrity from launch plays that Lenser do out wide. But it will be a challenge for them, no doubt. They, historically, they've been very close with Exeter, they've been very tight, low scoring games. You'd imagine it could be more of the same. Um, and I think if they keep the tie alive, like if they're within a the score at full time against Exeter, bringing them back to Thomond Park, I think it could be advantageous to have the second leg at home and knowing exactly what they do. You see, then I think you will see well in excess of twenty thousand at the game. Even though I think I'm right in saying the first round of the Munster Championship the next day, and I think Cork play Limerick the next day. But um, I do think that over two legs, if you had, if I had to back them, I probably would joke to get right. through. Um, that, that means that I think it'd be very closely fought affair, but. I do think if they get them back to Thomond Park, you, in a, I think it's an afternoon kickoff, Easter Saturday, um, get a big crowd there, 20 plus, within a score of Exeter, I think they've every chance of going through over the two legs because it'd be set up for them. You know, a, a lot of their semi-final defeats have been, over the years, have been away from home, particularly in France. And you've often wondered, you know, if they've been narrow enough defeats, if they ever had the second leg at home, how differently might have panned out. Well, now we're about to find out. I think it gives them a better chance over two legs for sure.
1: Well, that's half five Saturday. Before that, Ulster are over in Toulouse, which is uh, tough to say the least, and not much reward for how good they were in the group stages. Friday night, lots of people I suspect will be uh, double screening Tiger Woods at Augusta on the one hand, and then Connacht Leinster on the other. So Connacht Jerry are, are coming off a fairly miserable time, like these very demoralizing heavy defeats, including that one to Leinster. So. You sense, given Leinster's form, Connacht are going to have to get the sports ground full, lovely kick-off time, and play into emotion a little bit and, and just try and do what they can here. But they look up against it on every front.
2: Well, if you think that the Munster fans might have been a bit fatalistic about their chance against Leinster, imagine how Connacht fans are feeling after what happened in sports ground last Saturday week. Now, yeah. admittedly, a red card was a factor there, but then coming on top of that bad defeat away to Edinburgh, previously they won had two couple of fine wins, um scarlets away and the Stormers at home, which looks even better in hindsight. Look, when they get it right, they can be very good. I think it was very important to watch the game against Benetton and, and looked like it might slip away from at the end. And they had real problems in the scrum. They had real problems with the referee. And I think it would be, the game would be up if they'd lost that match, having been in a winning position twice against Benetton. So they showed a bit of guts to come through that. It was a Benetton team fired up with all their Italian players back from the, epic win over Wales so it looked like at the worst possible time to be playing um Bennett on Interviso it's a it's a good win it gets their URC campaign back on track look they're massive underdogs but you'd imagine they will have Bundiaki's leadership and just talismanic presence back that will be a lift Um, a full house it'll be a different game completely different game against uh, Leinster in, in, in this competition than it would have been in the URC hopefully there'll be no early red cards and both sides will have 15 players on the pitch um, it'll be cracking atmosphere you know they they showed against Leicester in their two matches against Leicester Tigers who you know r- rampaged through the uh, premiership, premiership in England pretty easily this season that they could give the best team in England two really really close tough games and if they ter- produce that kind of performance they might well rattle Leinster's cage a bit on um, Friday night but whatever chance they had of going through against Leicester over one leg you have to think that they're Chances are greatly reduced over two legs that Leinster's quality is bound to f- come through in the end.
1: Yeah, the problem for them, Liam, at the moment is Leinster looking very, very good. Very ruthless at the moment, very focused. Everything is aligned.
0: Absolutely. And I, I'm just looking at the the, 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 the statistics for the game at the weekend, like Munster at 48% of possession uh, versus Leinster's 52%. I think if Connacht get 48% of possession on Saturday, they have a good chance of, of threatening an outcome. Uh Obviously, they're playing against a vastly superior organization. So all things being equal, uh, they shouldn't have a prayer of this. But I think if they can get that type of possession, I think they're, they're a much better user of that possession. We, we see likes of Mike Hansen and what he has done and how easily he slipped into an Irish jersey because of how Connacht employed their possession. But, yeah, over two legs, and I agree 100% with Jerry. over two legs. Um, is asking an awful lot, um, and then it's down to team selection. Like, does, will will Leinster like Leinster have lost in, in Galway? So that's not an issue culturally. Leinster have lost there, and I think uh, Connor can take a lot of uh, a lot a lot from that. But equally, it's a warning sign that Leinster do have an Achilles heel going to Galway. Uh, I'd be I'd be very surprised if they don't pick a really full strength side um, and do a lot of damage, as much damage. Now that doesn't necessarily mean in the scoreboard. Uh, hopefully Connacht will get that type of possession uh, parity. And then we'll hopefully see some really good rugby from Connacht. But I'm not so sure it's going to be good enough.
1: Okay, we're talking here with Liam Tone and Jerry Thornley on Monday Night Rugby. Our coverage is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. A word on the women's Six Nations. Uh, Round three upon us this weekend coming. At the weekend in Toulouse, it finished France 40 points to Ireland's five. Uh, France are obviously uh, ahead of everyone, along with England and England probably ahead of France just now. That said, there was self-inflicted damage on the part of Ireland. Twenty four handling errors, uh, knock out, knock ons to beat the band. They lost five of their own uh, line outs. The scrum as it had against Wales in the first round really struggled. And Greg McWilliams was saying afterwards that they had consulted during the week with Paul O'Connell and John Fogarty and an effort to address these issues, but it's difficult to sort all these things out, especially when uh, players are working as well. It's not like a, a full-time uh, week between games. So what that means, Jerry, is they're over two. The defeat to Wales in particular was um, the disappointment and they have Italy at Musgrave Park this weekend coming. Italy were actually okay against France in round one and then they were decimated by England yesterday, as I think will be the fate of most who play England. So this now is very crucial for Greg McWilliams and this Irish team just to steady the ship. I mean, he's preaching patience, but at the same time, these are Six Nations games and there is a requirement to be competitive and to at least win one home game, if not two.
2: Yeah, for sure. You don't want to be losing at home to an Italian side that just got beaten 74-0 by England, knowing that you're then facing England away in Kingsham or whatever it is two weeks later. Um, that, that wouldn't be good for morale going to that game at all. It looks their most winnable fixture. Um, it was a it was a very disappointing first half in Toulouse, no doubt about it. The scrum got mangled, as you say. I think they won one of their six Just was no, They just had nothing to play off, virtually. They were living off scraps. Um, the handling errors were were quite surprising, particularly set against the French players whose skill set as well as physical power and pace was so much better. Um the penalty count was heavily influenced by the scrums. But you know, if there were there were some pluses, like that bit of work they did with Paul O'Connell, the mall defense was much improved actually, um, on the previous week. Um there was a there was a better shape in the attacking second half, I thought, and they made a few changes. Um there was some very good individual performances. The try was well worked. Like it looked at 33 nil just early in the second half that they might be shipping an even heavier defeat to only lose the last half hour 7-5 and that was through missing a conversion in front of the posts, wasn't a bad return so they've got some things to build on there but yeah they have to win they have to beat Italy in Musgrave Park I think or else it's going to look like a very daunting assignment in a fortnight even more daunting for a fortnight later against England
1: Yeah mcwilliams Leem has uh, absolutely you know uh, gone with youth and inexperience and he's almost starting the post-World Cup rebuilding Phase ahead of the World Cup because Ireland aren't there, and you know, a, a whole, a nine I think on on Saturday of the starting fifteen have less than ten caps. I think the highest caps are is Eamonn Constantine around twenty three or twenty four. So it's like it's an incredibly inexperienced side as well, which uh, doesn't help when you're in rocky waters.
0: Yeah, I, I think that the, the kind of the challenge that Greg, uh, the coach, and Neil Briggs, etc., have is that uh, this Irish team of it uh, are struggling in power and rugby knowledge and sometimes the power is the one that's catching them sometimes the rugby knowledge and then we saw then against france how at times ireland struggled with both rugby knowledge and power and there's a few examples of it uh, the, the scrum clearly is it was an area of, of enormous weakness but how you manage that moment in time is really interesting because the, the French from half, uh, Sansou scored a try, the second French try, uh, it was about a 12 meter blind side. Uh, the Irish scrum was in terrible, terrible shape. And the blindside winger, Amy Lee Murphy Crow slipped across following her opposition winger. Um, and all of a sudden this massive blindside was there. So that's a power issue on the scrum, and then there's a rugby knowledge issue around how do you manage the, the field defense. And I thought in that moment Amy Lee Murphy Crow, who's a super athlete, showed her like what she looks like. She's learning how to play fifteen man rugby. At the highest level, and it's a really tough environment for a lot of these players. To your point, Joe, who are relatively new, and there's loads of those examples. I think the the, the try that again Sansou scored uh, in the second half around the 48th minute, uh, again an Irish scrum was under massive massive pressure, and the Irish number six Dorothy Wall I think was obstructed uh, by the French uh, number six Berthaud Mew, uh, but. The Irish back row weren't scrummaging in a lot of those scrums, which makes life very difficult for the front five. Uh, and then how they defend them. So Dorothy Wall and her number eight, Brittany Hogan, drifted outside the ball. One was blocked, I think, uh, illegally, and Sansus came in. So there's a rugby knowledge of how the back row defend, how the blindside wing. And you can see those little examples throughout. So I suppose the challenge... Um, for the french or for the irish management is you can't there's no magic wand in terms of power so that's going to be a process that just gets better and better over time the rugby knowledge pitch they're, they're going to have to fast track some of that and that's it's a difficult environment so the italian game coming around uh, on the 10th of april is a really good opportunity to try uh, with less pressure to try and get that rugby knowledge uh higher but that scrum was under and a word on, on some of the refereeing decisions as well. I thought um, the, the French uh, second row, uh, Fiolone, scored a try. She picked from inside a, a ruck and scored the try. Uh, my understanding of the law is she's not allowed to pick the ball up because it's a ruck and she wasn't the uh, acting scrum half. And that obstruction as well, for me, that was enough. That was a clear enough. But uh, maybe Dorothy Wall, the next time it happens to her, she'll fall over and make a, a, a better meal mm-hmm. of it. So um, there, there's there's a challenge for this Irish squad. Now, I'm delighted that their profile, that the the, the six, their Six Nations has moved to a different window. It's brilliant. I watch I watch the games. I'm really enjoying the games. Um, but that's the two key messages I see. How do you deal with power uh, and and the rugby knowledge? There's a lot of those Irish players. that are real athletes, but they're still learning how to play the game and. People often say rugby is a simple game. It's not. Mm. It's it's built on a lot of little nuances that we take for granted. And if you're learning those nuances at the level these these ladies were, it, it can be a very difficult place to play. So Italy's good timing. Um, and there's what is it like two weeks? So the 24th of April. Is, is the is the English game? And of course, that's going to be another very very tough uh, balance between power and rugby knowledge.
1: Yes, and many of the sevens will have gone then at that stage, as we understand it. And I suppose fast tracking. Rugby knowledge is a difficult thing to do if you're the coach. Uh, There's a lot of experience which has been left out, Jerry. You wonder maybe if a sprinkling of some of that experience might help on that front. And then the other, it's just bubbling away, the Kleena Maloney situation. She's the 2020 Player of the Year, playing over in the Premiership at Hooker, uh, would add a certain heft, would help the scrummaging, is the general consensus speaking to uh, other players who know Kleena's game inside out. And yet she's not in the squad now initially when she was left out there were questions as to whether that had, it had anything to do with her tweet about Anthony Eddy last year she said she had a very short conversation with Greg McWilliams and it was for rugby reasons I don't know if that stacks up totally I mean it may not have anything to do with the Eddy tweet but it's not just rugby reasons based on what we're seeing here
2: no I agree Neve Jones is like a, an excellent tackling machine for that team and she Put a huge tackle count again at the weekend, but um she's gotta be disappointed with you know the set piece, the, the darks and the scrum going so badly, you'd have to think Clean Maloney would make a huge difference, and it's just doesn't quite stack up that this is supposedly for rugby reasons. And I've spoken to a few people who just evidently don't believe this is the case. Um, you'd have to think that would make a, a significant difference to the team. I agree with you. They could do with a little bit more experience. I thought that when Catherine Dane came on at Scrum Half, um, she was much she was very good, um, very accurate in her distribution. I thought when Baveen Parsons came on as well, there was a better balance to the back three. Um, Eimear Consign just doesn't seem to be playing with an awful lot of confidence at the moment. Although I agree with Liam on a couple of the decisions, I thought they got nothing from the officials the weekend. And the other one was Eimear Consign getting tackled in the air when she was a to have knocked on. And they, the TMO and the official didn't even look at it again. And I think it led directly to another scrum, of course, and another um, French try. So, but yeah, I think, there, I think it could do with a little bit of an injection of more experience in Clean and Catherine Dane and Babian Parsons from the start. It'd be interesting to where, where he goes with that, having named an unchanged side for the first two games. OK,
1: well, we'll watch uh, round three. And by the way, even when he's uh, in a different country doing his thing, he can't not make headlines. So the boy O'Gara, Christoph Urius called him unbearable. After the 16-15 uh, defeat to La Rochelle, Bordeaux uh, coach, they had a little head-to-head on the sideline. Rog said, he didn't appreciate, I encourage my players after a ball was recovered near a line. I'm a young coach, I need to talk a lot. I want my players to hear me on the pitch. I have a lot of energy, it's important that I pass it on to them. And uh, those pictures went around. And then he was speaking to BT Sport, Ronan. He said, the England job would be a great one, I think. What a team, so much potential there. Serious rugby players, serious passion for the game in England. It's a cracking job, you'd love to have a go off that. Well, Liam, how do we feel about O'Gara's England against Andy Farrell's Ireland?
0: Well, having had the pleasure of playing against him on the pitch, I know how his verbals can be uh, <laughs> so
1: encouraging and so
0: uh, so helpful. <laughs> um, uh, it was a bit of a, a something and nothing, I think, yeah. that... that that coach has, has a bit of form in in, in that. Uh, isn't O'Garran wonderful? Isn't he just throwing that little uh, grenade about England? Uh, would he be a great appointment? Of course he would. Would he feel he's up to it? I'd say he was. That fellow is capable of anything. Just a quick word on what Jerry and you were talking about, about the Irish uh, front row. Mm. Uh, a real word to, to the Irish loose head, Linda June uh, Gang, who starts at loose head, finishes at a tight head, and was instrumental in the try that uh, Eve. Uh, scored Eve Higgins scored uh, against France now if you've got a stronger front five playing then Linda June Gang is going to be more prominent in the game so it, combinations become very very important too but you want you want her that, that you want her on the ball much more often than she currently is right. and it must be pretty exhausting to start a loose head and finish a tight head. so a word of fair play to Linda yeah.
1: no it's no joke because she scored a brilliant try against Wales as well like stepped around opposition player After running a great line, so I mean, she's playing great stuff. Uh, Gents, we're out of time. Thank you so much. Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times, Liam Tolan with us as well. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it.
2: Take care. Cheers, Joe. Cheers, Liam. Monday Night Rugby on Off the Ball. With
1: Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team, we all belong to the team of us.